All right, well, how's everyone doing tonight? I will knock that over in five seconds. All right. Well, I'm not Greg. Uh, you see that, you can tell, huh? Um, Greg couldn't be here tonight. He's at an open house, and he regrets he wanted to be here so bad, but he said, uh, just pass along that, that he's thinking of you tonight, and he will be here next week. And um, so tonight, I'm the guy. Um, I'm the replacement. And um, to give you a little background, my name's um, Chris Hayden, and I'm the missions outreach pastor and other things to be named later um, here at Cornerstone. And I go back a little ways at Cornerstone. I was here... Um, from 1999 to 2005 as the junior high and senior high youth pastor, did some events here, taught some women's studies, did a whole bunch of fun stuff. And I remember the first time I came out to Cornerstone, you guys were just moved into um, Hamilton High School. Church was about 400 eager believers um, and excited to, um, to move and grow and see what God had planned for them. And um, it's such an amazing um, thing to see where Cornerstone has come, where Cornerstone is, and for sure where God's going to move Cornerstone um, in the future. I remember the last time I spoke at the mine, they, there were about 30 of you in um, one of those rooms over there, so you guys have grown a little bit. Um, as I said, my name is Chris, and just to give you a little background of, uh, of who I am, Lynn was my youth pastor back when Lynn was really skinny and scrawny, and um, um, I can say anything tonight. I love this. Um, and, and I remember going to the first event, and you know how Lynn loves to do the friend day, so I went to a youth group friend day, and we're just excited to be there, and I walked in and went, wow, this is so different than what I thought church was, could be. And I was blown away. And it was about two months before I graduated high school. So I soaked up those two months. And then I was one of those college kids that sort of just hung around the high school group trying to relive the, the days that I never got to live. And so eventually Lynn, um, now Lynn will say that he, he saw me and he was like, man, this guy's set for ministry. That's not how it was at all. I was sitting in the passenger seat of, of the car my friend was driving. Now my friend's name was Dan and he was the life of the party. All the high schoolers uh, loved him. He was funny. He was um, good look. He was everything I wasn't. And, and I was sitting there, and we were getting ready to go. And Lynn, check this out. Lynn leaned through the passenger window. I'm here drinking my soda. Lynn leaned through the passenger window and, and looked at Dan and said, Hey, we would love for you to be part of our youth staff. And, and, and the kids really like him. We think you can uh, uh, lead them down the road and, and all that kind of stuff. And as he was heading back out... I don't know what got over him. He sort of looked at me like this. He's all, how about you? You want to do it too? I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so 20 years later, here I am teaching the mine at, <laughs> at Cornerstone. Um, but um, Lynn has been a, a huge influence in my life as well as some other guys, George Bedlian, who um, worked here for several years. And uh, um, one of my best friends, Bill Bush, who's the lead pastor over at Rock Point. And I'm just so excited to be, be back here at Cornerstone um, doing missions and um, um, I'll be honest with you, when I, when I first started uh, many years ago, I hated missions with a passion. I, I didn't understand missions. I thought, I thought it was just the, the worst place you could ever send a human being, and I did not want to go. And, and, and then one day I realized that on mission trips you can actually preach the gospel. And once I found that out, and, and that's sad because a lot of mission trips they don't, um, but I, once I found out you can preach the gospel, I was hooked. And, and so... I'm an evangelist at heart, and that's what I live um, um, to do. And so I'm excited to be here um, at Cornerstone. And so what we want to do um, tonight is we're, we're, we're continuing this whole series on religious IQ. And we've had um, two great messages on Sunday mornings. And Lynn has done a phenomenal job of sort of just setting that foundation of, of what it means uh, to, to recognize a counterfeit, what it, what it is to recognize a counterfeit Bible, what it is to recognize a counterfeit Jesus. Um, and Greg last week did a great job sort of unpacking um, that first week. And, and so this week we're going to continue down the road of, and asking that, that question of who is Jesus? I want you to look at, at, at this video that we have and see if any of these questions are similar to yours. I have no idea. Who was Jesus? Gosh, I have to start with, I'm not sure. Who was Jesus to you? Some guy. Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not sure exactly who Jesus was. I think Jesus was, uh, was a 
was kind of a cool guy back in his day. Who was Jesus to you? I think I'm done. I don't like to talk about it. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Who do you think Jesus was or is? Uh, Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that Jesus Christ was a man who had an extraordinary ability to link in with the Creator. I think he was a definitely some of the people, you know, a good role model. I, I do think he had a lot of great ideas. More or less, he was just a prophet, which is just a messenger of God. Sort of a revolutionary in his day. Jesus was an amazing man. I don't believe he's God's son. I just believe he's a person. As to his, like, God-like quality, I'm not totally sold on that. You think he was a prophet? I would have to be Christian to really believe that. Jesus was... The Messiah for some people, and for some people he wasn't. I'm not necessarily sure if Jesus was the Messiah or a prophet, but in either case, he was somebody that spoke the word of God. He was equal portions of of human and uh, and that energy that is God. People said he was sent by God. Well, no one, God doesn't send him down. You know, go on up. <laughs> I mean, he. Was, he linked in. I mean, I do believe in Jesus in the sense of, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I'm not saying that he didn't exist or anything of the sort, but the fact that, um, I mean, I necessarily don't go and uh, pray to Jesus. Who was Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God? I believe Jesus is the Son of God who came to save us all from our sins. Jesus was the Savior. Who died for our sins and cleaned us, made us pure enough to enter God's glory. The, um, only way you can get there, who do you think Jesus is? Um, who do I think he is? I, I don't think it's who he was. I think he still is Jesus, so he's not gone or anything, you know. I guess embodied technically he is, but he's still here. The Jesus story sort of borders on history and myth for me, um, but I don't believe that it could have permeated our culture so fully and for so long if... There was nothing to that. All right. A lot of different responses there um, to an absolutely amazing and vitally important question. So Jesus once um, was talking to Peter, and, and Jesus was asking, well, what do all these people say I am? And, and Peter's like, well, some say you're a prophet. Um, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're this or that. And, and finally, Jesus just narrowed it down and said, well, well, Peter, who do you say I am? Do you remember what Peter's response was? You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah or the Christ. Messiah is Hebrew for Christ, which is Greek. So my question to you is, is who, who do you say Jesus is? Because this is a question that will change your eternity. This is a question that will change your family's eternity. This is a question that we can't overlook. Who do you say I am? Now, Peter answered it correctly, but Jesus posed that question to a lot of people. To Pilate. I remember um, over in Hamilton High School asking that very same question um, to a bunch of junior high students. And um, I said, well, why don't you turn, turn to your Bibles? And I said, turn to John chapter 1, verse 1, because this is a powerful verse that, that really describes what we're going to talk about. And it says, in the beginning... The Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. This one was in the beginning with God. All things came into existence through Him, and apart from Him, not even one thing came into existence. So I read those first three verses. What do you think the junior higher said? How many said the, think the junior higher went, yes, we agree with this? I can tell you, 99% of the junior higher said, yes. I'm like, well, are you willing to stake your life on this? And they said, absolutely. And I said, are you sure? No, I'm not going to ask you the same question, um, but I actually had them raise their hands. 
How many of you are willing to stake your life, your reputation, your faith, your belief on what I just read? And no, 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 don't raise your hands. I, don't, I didn't see anything. <laughs> I asked them that. Here's why. I just read out the New World Translation. This is the Jehovah Witness Bible. And there's one little thing they did in there. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. It is so easy. And don't feel bad. I, I've, I've fallen for those many times. Some guy comes up, hey, tell me exactly how many of each type of animals did Moses bring aboard the ark? And I'm like, two, two, two. And he's all, no, it wasn't Moses. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> And it's so easy to fall for what, what Lynn called snake oil salesmen or sun-kissed salesmen or whatever he used up on stage. And, and it's so easy to drink the Kool-Aid. And so what, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told those junior hires. Never, ever, 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 ever trust anything that anyone says unless you verify it in Scripture. Unless you verify it in Scripture. Because it's so easy to get turned. And it's so easy to believe in things. And even as Christians to buy into some of the arguments that other Christians might even be saying. And all of a sudden you're left with someone who's not quite our Jesus. And so Jesus, or Jesus, see there I go again, don't believe it. Lynn actually said, let me ask you this question. And we'll use this Bible. This is the Bible that they hand you out. Um, and so let's go and let's read, read what it really says. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we move on into the religious IQ, and next week, can I tell you the next couple of weeks are going to be amazing? Not that Lynn wasn't. Lynn was amazing, incredibly amazing. You heard that, Lynn. But the next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely amazing. J.P. Moreland is coming next week to, to really unpack atheism and what is atheism. And J.P. Moreland is one of, as Lynn said, one of the most world-renowned atheists, but he's also one of the most world-renowned philosophers. He's a brilliant man. He's written many books and um, phenomenal speaker. And so I would challenge you, bring your friends. Um, bring your friends. Um, also, we've got coming up um, um, Durbin. I can't remember his first name. Durbin. Jeff Durbin. Yes, Jeff. Um, Jeff Durbin is coming in, and he's going to be talking about Mormonism and, and another phenomenal speaker. And um, um, then we got a guy named Al Fadi. That's not his real name, but um, we'll call him Al Fadi. And he's an expert on Islam. And um, he's going to come in and just talk about what Islam is, what it isn't, and, um, and how we can answer those questions. And Lynn's going to close out the series with Catholicism. But tonight, let's go ahead and unpack this, this whole who is um, Jesus question. And so who is he? Who is Jesus? Lynn brought up, um, well, you, you could put, put Jesus into one of three categories. You can't call him a good teacher. You can't, you, can't call, you can't just say he was a good moral teacher. You can't just say that. Either Jesus is Lord, but if he's not Lord, there's no way he's a good teacher. If he's not Lord, he's a liar. Because he categorically said, I am. I am God. I am Lord. So if he's not Lord, he's a liar. Or he's just a raving lunatic. He's a raving lunatic. And what Lynn was referring to was a famous quote by C.S. Lewis coming out of mere Christianity. It says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something far worse. You can shut him up for a fool, 
You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. So who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Was he just some crazy figure in history? Or was he Lord? Now, I'm assuming most people here would say, yeah, he is Lord. But how do we know that? How do we know that? How do we know Jesus is Lord? Does, does, is the Bible really clear on that? Maybe, maybe they're right and he's just another God. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. And Lynn opened, opened this passage up. And again, if you have questions, we have runners here that will um, bring the mics to you. I will try to answer them to the best of my knowledge. Um, I'm no Greg and I'm no Lynn, but I will try to do it to the best of my knowledge. John chapter 14, and we'll go ahead and start in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And, and here comes Thomas. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap. Imagine going through your life with, with, with the subtitle of doubting. But he gets a bad rap. But Thomas does what we ask the people in the mind to do. To dig. To not drink Kool-Aid. To ask the questions. If you don't understand something, ask the question. And, and he looked right at Jesus. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And if you haven't underlined this verse, you might want to do that. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Then here's Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Jesus was telling his disciples, I'm it. Stop looking. Stop wondering. I am it. Jesus says the powerful verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, literally, that verse can be read, I am the way because I am the truth and the life. Because Jesus could never be the way if he wasn't the truth. Jesus could never be the way if he wasn't the life. Those two had to be in place for him to be the way. I am the way, and that's a definite article. I am the, not a way or an occasional way. I am the way, the only way to heaven. There is no other way. And the reason behind that is because I am the truth. I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the law. That's why I said Jesus came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled it because he is, in and of himself, the law. That's why Jesus can say, hey... That's great that you're not murdering, but even if you look at someone and hate your murder, or that's great that you're not, you, you think you're not lusting but, or, or, have, or may, have an adultery, but even if you look at a woman in lust, you're, you're committing. He can say that because he is the law. He can say he fulfilled the law because he is the law. He is the truth. And he is also the life. Jesus is the life giver. Everything was created through him, by him, and for him. So now when I was young, I didn't believe that of Jesus. My grandfather was Catholic, um, and, so, and he was devout, and he went to church. And the rest of the family, we didn't really. We saw Jesus a couple times a year. 
Most often it was on TV around Easter and actually literally on TV as a little figurine around Christmas. And that's who I knew Jesus. My view of Jesus as a baby was, was this wooden figure that was all nicely and neat. And my view of old Jesus was some blue, blue-eyed, blonde, Norwegian Jesus who never blinked his eyes and walked at three-quarter speed. That's who I thought Jesus was. I thought he was a man, for sure. I didn't understand the concept that Jesus was more than a man. That Jesus was God. I am the way and the truth and the life. Turn back with me to John chapter 3. Lynn talked about this famous verse, John 3.16. Many of us have seen this verse at football games. That's how most people see this verse. If you go back in the day, it was a guy with a rainbow wig holding it up. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then Lynn said, you know what? That, that, that's a powerful verse, and it is. But so often we don't read it in context. And, and, and so he actually at, he went back and said, well, let's look at verse 15. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, I want to back us up one more verse. Let's go back to verse 14. And this verse is so often passed by because we get so excited that we get to spurt out the one memory verse that we, that we know by heart and we speed read through this. But look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. I don't know about you, but I probably read that verse a hundred times before I finally went, what? Let me go back and read that. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What on earth does that mean? Well, you've got to go back to Numbers chapter 21. So let's do that. Numbers chapter 21. And to pick up the story, Moses is leading a bunch of ingrates um, throughout the desert. Um, the nation of Israel had um, exploded. Several million people were wandering around the desert. They were cantankerous. They were mad. They were frustrated. And listen to what happens in Numbers chapter 21, starting in verse 4. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said... Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. Let me repeat those last two. There is no bread. There is no water. And then listen to what they say. And we detest this miserable food. Okay. Here's why God rules. One of many. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Yes. Among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. If anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. That is an odd story. And Jesus, right before he gets to the power verse, the one we're all going to memorize, hints to it. Hey, Nicodemus, remember, remember that story? Remember, remember that story about how everybody was grumbling and they didn't have any food and they hated all the food and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and remember when God just sent venomous snakes? Remember that? Of course you do. You have the whole thing memorized. Well, just as Moses lifted up this snake... So the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now imagine that scene. Here people are, are in complete panic. You got snakes. And I don't know, how many of you love snakes? How many of you, if snakes started crawling around in here, would freak out? Okay, good. Okay, 
me too, and I'm safer than you. Okay, and so imagine the chaos as all these snakes come in, they start biting people, people start dying, and then all of a sudden the story starts coming out through the Israelites. Hey, Moses put a snake up on the pole. If you just go look at it, you will be saved. I can't even imagine, begin to imagine, how many people probably walked up with a bunch of little snakes hanging off of them, going up. Whoops, that one, they're slithery. Okay, imagine, imagine this scene as a bunch of, some guy going, I don't need God. I don't need to do that. Honey, you take the kids over there. I'm just going to figure this out on my own. Imagine that scene as all these snakes, people dying left and, left and right. And did God make something hard for them to do? No. Did he say, hey, you need to just, you need to memorize all these verses and then maybe you can be saved? No. Did he say, hey, go jump in that lake? No. Hey, well, you should go to church. No. What did he say? Hey, there's a snake up on the pole. I've taken the very thing that is killing you and I've put it up on a pole. If you just look at it and believe, you'll be saved. And so here Moses is holding this bronze snake up on a pole. And he's just sitting there going, all you have to do is look. All you have to do is believe. Nothing else. This is the only way. This is the only way. And so Jesus is looking at Nicodemus going, this is exactly what has to happen to take care of the sin issue. People are dying apart from Jesus. They're not lost. They're not blind. They're not confused. The Bible says they are spiritually dying. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way because I am the truth. I have the power to say that's okay. I am the way because I am the life. I can save you. I am the only way. And Nicodemus, this is how it's going to have to happen. The Son of Man is going to have to be lifted up. And people are going to have to look upon him and believe. That's how you're saved. Nothing else. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to get healed. That's why when you look at every ambulance in America, you see a pole with a snake on it. That's where it comes from. This story. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's because I am Lord. But here's what I want you to catch tonight. And something that took me a long time to catch. Because I still, I, I started catching some of this. Like, okay, I get it, I get it. Um, Jesus is man, and that's all. But it took me a long time to comprehend that, no, Jesus is God. And Jesus has been around a long time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. Now, who was the Word? We find out later in John. Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Go all the way to the front of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. An eerily similar verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus was in the beginning. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He has been here forever. He is not a created being. He is the I Am. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created. Those are five powerful words. The first three, in the beginning. It lets us know that there was a beginning to our existence. And in that beginning was God. The fourth verse or fourth word was God so we know there's a beginning we know at the beginning was God and the, and the fifth one God created God is a personal God so Jesus did not just come onto the scene somewhere around 4 to 6 BC Jesus has been there since the beginning he is God 
That's why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why Buddha can't. That's why Muhammad can't. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's been there since the very beginning. In fact, to keep going down that road, who was it that talked to Moses in the burning bush? That was God. Have you ever wondered which part? It's God the Son. It was Jesus that was talking to Moses in the burning bush. It was Jesus that appeared to Hagar. It was Jesus that appeared to Abraham. It was Jesus. Anytime in the Old Testament you see this phrase, the angel of the Lord, that is a reference to what is called a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearing of Christ. The angel of the Lord. It was Jesus that appeared to Abraham. It was Jesus that said no as Abraham was about to plunge a knife into Isaac. Imagine that scene. Here is Abraham about ready to plunge a knife into Isaac. And Jesus said, no, no. 2,000 years later on the exact same hill, the Son of Man was lifted up. Imagine Jesus hanging on the cross, going through his memory banks. Man, right over there was Isaac. It was Jesus that talked to Moses. When Moses said, well, well, who do I tell them sent me? What was the response? Say, I am. Makes a lot more sense to Jesus' speech in the New Testament. How many times did he say, I am? the way. I am the truth, the life. I am the bread. I am the light. You don't know who I am? I I am. I am self-existent. I am here now. I've been here. I was there in the beginning and I'll be here forever. I am the eternal God. And because I am the eternal God, I have the power to save you. It was Jesus that was the fourth figure in the fiery furnace. It's pretty cool when we start to realize that God the Son had a role in the past. So who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Turn to Galatians. I'll get you in one second. Turn to Galatians real quick. Listen to what it says, verse 8, and Lynn brought this out on Sunday. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than... The one you've accepted, let him be under God's curse. So we're going to talk about, well, what is this gospel in a second? Question. Um, When Moses was up on the mountain Mm -hmm. to uh, do the Ten Commandments and the Lord passed by, Uh was that also Jesus? Yes. Nobody else got a suntan. Say what? Nobody else was affected the way Moses was after after the the vision. That's why I asked. Great. Okay. So the question is now Moses, uh, um, Jesus, or the angel of the Lord, the theophany, um, appeared to Moses three different times, actually. The first one was near the mountain, okay, as Moses was um, talking to the bush. Um, The second occasion was on the mountain. Um, Behold, I send an angel before you keep um, the way and bring him into the place where I've prepared, Exodus 23, 20. And then Exodus 33, 22 is the one um, you're referring to as God passed by and Moses was affected. And so that, that brings up a question. I'll keep, can I expound on that a little bit? The, the question is, well, why Moses was affected more than other people. Um, why, why is that? And maybe another question someone has is, well, I thought God couldn't even be in the presence of sin. 
how on earth could any of this be possible? How on earth could, could God um, be talking to Moses? How, how could God be, be would, wouldn't that affect, I mean, would, wouldn't that just destroy them? And the, the answer, it's a, it's a tough answer. The, the answer is a tough answer. God cannot deal with sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin, not because it will affect God, but because God's holiness and righteousness will drastically affect the person. But we know for sure that, that in the Bible, God, God was in the pre- Satan was in the presence of, of God dealing with the whole Job incident. We know these instances with, um, in the Old Testament um, where Jesus the Son, or even if you don't agree with that and say, you know what, I'm just going to say that that's God. Either way, it didn't, um, those people lived. And, and, and what about the whole fact that God's omnipresent anyway? He's everywhere, so obviously he's around sin. Again, God has the effect on sin. So God has this restraining power that keeps um, someone from getting, I guess, absolutely, totally affected. And so God, um, in his righteousness, in his um, grace, sort of pulls back the, the godness from totally destroying someone. I mean, because if, if, God, if you saw the full glory of God, you would probably die. You probably couldn't handle it. Okay? And so there are times um, in the Bible where God says, you know what, let me show you a little bit more. Let me step out of this. Let me show you a little bit more. Let me actually come by you. But I need you to get into this little cleft of, 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 the, of the mountain because you can't handle too much of God. Okay? And so for that one incident, or instance, um, Mo- Moses actually saw a little bit more of God than what other people had the... Uh, opportunity to see. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Does it? Okay, good. Okay, so so what's the gospel? What's the gospel? We know, um, as Lynn pointed out, Jesus made it crystal clear that he was saying he was God. That he was saying he was God. He was crucified for that. Now let me give a caveat. The Romans crucified him for sedition. Okay, because they didn't care if he said he was God, but the Jews cared about that. So they brought him in front of Pilate to be crucified. They were mad because he blasphemed, because he said, I am God. And, and when Jesus said, I am, Pilate might not have understood it. The Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You're saying you're the I am, you're the Alpha, the Met, you're the, you're God. That's blasphemy. There's no doubt in the New Testament that the Jewish people believed that Jesus was saying he was God. Not just some prophet, not some good man. Not, they didn't believe he was a liar. They didn't believe lunatic. They, they thought he was, was saying he was God. And so the question then is, how do I get to heaven? So who is Jesus? Well, if Jesus is God, that's great. How do I get to heaven? That was question three or question two from last week, question three overall. How does one get to heaven? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 10. And we'll start in verse 9. Now, we already know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. If we walk down the Roman road, we know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know because of that sin, the wages of that is death. We know we have been given a gift of God in Jesus. Even though while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. We understand that, that God sent him to earth. We understand that Jesus was there in the beginning. We understand he was the word. He was God, God become bod. We understand the cross, all, all that kind of, But what is the, how do we get to heaven? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
If you declare, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. Just as ridiculously easy as it was for people who were dying to just walk over to Moses and look at the cross, look at the solution. The Bible is very clear. And, and, and for years I was like, oh, if the Bible would just tell me how to get to heaven, I would do it. It does. If you confess with your mouth or you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can't believe he was just a good prophet. Can't believe he was a God. Got to believe he was Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And notice what it says. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Or to put in that in modern terms, there's no difference between United States, Mexico. There's no difference between man or woman. There's no difference between old or young, American or Iraqi, black or white. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who what? Call on him. That's it. That's it. And as Lynn brought out all these boxes and said, you know, it's not about baptism. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's not about religion. Can I tell you, Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Can I also tell you that religion has done nothing since the beginning of the world but hurt and destroy people? Religion is man-made, it is works-based, and it hurts people. Christianity is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Yes. Thank you. Um, I understand and I believe what you're saying. I'd like you and everyone to go to John 14 verse 15 okay. I'll, I'll say what it is and ask me how this ties into this okay. what you just said if you love me you will obey what I command mm-hmm. how does that tie into that okay two things something called is a real churchy word called justification and justification means your penalty for sin has been taken care of you have been justified So if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, basically you admit you are a sinner. You you need help. You've been bitten by a snake. You've been bitten by sin. You have a debt. You cannot pay for that debt. Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you do that, you will be saved. You have been justified from the penalty of sin. There's another word called sanctification. And this is where that ties in. Great, you've been justified. If you die tonight, you will be in heaven. But there is a reason why I didn't take you up the minute you turned your life over to me. It's because I've got a life plan for you. I have a life. I I want you to live a life worthy of this call. And here's your call. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will go. I'm going to slip this in. I'm the missions pastor. You need to go. If you love Jesus, you need to go. Because, we'll keep going, on Romans 10, 9 through 13, tells you how to get to heaven. Romans 10, 14 through 15, tells you why people aren't doing it. Paul goes in reverse, says, someone needs to call, but in order for them to call, they need to believe. In order for them to believe, they need to hear. Well, in order for them to hear the gospel, it needs to be preached. In order for someone to preach, it needs to be sent. Well, God took care of the sent part. You are to go. What part's not happening? The preach part. If we don't preach, and the biblical word for preach is kierso, it's the Greek word kierso, which means to be a herald, to proclaim, to go. If you don't go, how's anyone going to hear? And if no one can hear, how's anyone going to believe? That's great that you're in your lifeboat. There's people in the water still. Don't be like those people on the Titanic that just kept rowing. 
So that's sanctification. We are to follow God's commands. Does that answer that? I think a lot of said Christians are wound up in John three sixteen, mm-hmm. and they think that's all there is. But, but Christ clearly says, if you love me, you'll do as I command. So there's, there's more to that. You need to turn away from sin, correct? You need to, mm-hmm. like you said, that whole process. So, I mean, Amen. just, just speaking John three sixteen, but not living a Christian life, that's a contradiction. Am I correct? It, it, it is. I think that's what it, a lot it, of people way, are stuck on. Yeah. No, I, I agree. There's a lot of people. I, mean, I might ask you to be on the mission board. There's a lot of people that need to do more than just go, all right, I've got my tickets to heaven, and that's it. Okay? I call those people the frozen chosen. They don't do anything else. Okay? We are to live a life worthy of the call. Okay? We have been called. Okay? Our sins have been taken care of. We have been justified. Now it's time to get sanctified. Justification is being free from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is being free from the, from, um, the, the, the presence uh, of sin. Okay? Where, where we, we don't let, or let it affect us anymore. We don't let it, now, it doesn't mean someone's not going to mess up. We all mess up. And if anyone tells you I'm perfect... Um, Liar or lunatic, you can choose one of those two, but um, they're not. We are all fallen. We all need Jesus. We need Jesus daily. We need to come to Jesus daily. That's what wisdom is. Seeing things the way God sees them. We need to come to Jesus in prayer. We need to be reading our Bibles. So yeah, part of loving is a two-way relationship. It's a two-way relationship. Someday we'll have the third piece of that, and that's glorification. Sin will no longer have the power over us anymore. Okay? Let, let me hop in because I'm here and I'll get a couple more questions. Oh, we have one more. Okay, go ahead. On the topic of religion, um, I think a lot of us have these, these phone Bibles. Um, we can do a search on that word. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 7.1 refers to religion. Mm-hmm. Acts 25.19 and so forth. Mm-hmm. I'll read one here. 1 Timothy 5.4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, mm-hmm. they should learn, first of all, to put the religion into practice. Mm-hmm. There are other passages that reference religion. Uh-huh. And based on the fact that we can just take that word and dissect it in different ways depending mm-hmm. on our dispositions, um, would you clarify that? a little more according to the way we're seeing it here in Scripture. Absolutely. Yeah, that, 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 um, that particular passage is, is talking about, about, well, if you claim to be this, but you're not doing that, here, here's a religion that God, God says is pure, okay, to, to do what, what it says there. What I'm talking about is man-made religion, religion that starts man first and then posits some kind of God. Okay? What God is calling for us to do is to begin with love, begin with relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like that. Love your neighbor the same. Okay? And so I guess we, we, we can get caught up on, on, yeah, the actual word religion, but what I'm talking about is man-made religion that, 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 does, that does hurt Christianity is a relationship. Yes, we can be religious within this relationship. We can religiously attend church. We can religiously read our Bible. But the core foundation is Jesus. Okay, so that, that's what I mean, mean by that. Okay. All right, so what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And then go 14 more chapters to 15. Because we hear, again, a lot about what the gospel is, and the gospel should be this and that and this and that. Well, let's figure out what the Bible says the gospel is. And this is Paul speaking to his church in Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. And gospel literally means good news. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins. So this is what the gospel is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
and that he was buried. And then he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That is the gospel. And if you look through Acts, which is a history book of the early church, whenever you saw Peter, whenever you saw Paul, whenever they spoke, this is the method they used. It's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's not about works. It's all about Jesus. That he died And that he rose again according to scriptures for our sins. Paying our debt that we could not do on our own. No matter how good you are. No matter how bad you are. You need Jesus. That's what frees us from the penalty of sin is Jesus. And then, as has been mentioned... We need to go and live a life worthy of that call. We need to love. We need to obey God's commands. We need to go out and witness. Romans 10, or Romans 10 verse 15 closes this. says, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. The word beautiful there literally means fully blossomed or mature. We talk a lot about maturity in church. If you want to be mature, you will go. How beautiful how fully blossomed, how mature are the feet of those who bring good news. Yes. The passage that you just read, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh-huh. the question is, that's a rephrasing of uh, Acts, mm-hmm. part in Acts. Mm-hmm. Was Paul in the upper room? At he was. This was too early for mm-hmm. him to be... Uh, Anointed by the Holy Spirit. Okay. But this, it's described almost exactly as it's described back in Acts. Where was Paul and where did he get it from? Okay. Paul, great question. Great question. And this is, this is important to understand. Where was Paul? Remember if we read early in Acts? Remember when Stephen was martyred for Christ. If you ever want to read the most powerful apology or or defense of the faith, Stephen brought the heat. Paul was there giving an okay, a thumbs up for the death. Paul was a murderer of Christians. It wasn't until many years later that Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus And his life was changed. He went from Saul to Paul. And then Paul turned his life over to Christ and began to live a life worthy of the call and did planted, basically, Paul's responsible for, for half the New Testament. Okay? Paul wasn't there in the upper room. Okay? Paul was uh, part of the Pharisees. Paul was in the Sanhedrin. Okay? Paul was a self-proclaimed Hebrew of Hebrews. But Jesus changed his life. And that's the whole point. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no matter who you are in here, no matter what road you're on in your life, no matter how sinful you think you are, or how sinful you think the acts you have done are, Jesus will meet you right where you're at. You don't have to go through a process of working yourself up to be okay for Jesus. You don't have to go to church enough times. Just because you're sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Taco Bell makes you a burrito. It's the same logic. Jesus will meet you exactly where you're at, at whatever stage in life you're at. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the... And you're willing to humble yourself and say, I need you, you will be saved. Paul met Jesus on the road to... And he was saved. And Paul went. And when we get to the point where he's writing to Corinth, and he's writing to Ephesus, and he's writing to Thyatira, and he's writing to these churches... 
Paul has now had a chance to have first-hand account from the likes of Peter, the likes of James, Mary herself. Paul's been able to interview Luke, one of the greatest historians in the history of the world. He wasn't there either. But he had a chance to go and interview and talk to the witnesses. And if Paul was saying something that didn't happen, he would have been called on it immediately. If I'm telling you that Ronald Reagan rose from the dead and he's walking the streets, you're going to go, no. And if I keep pushing it, you're going to finally go to his grave and say, you're right. That was a, that, that was a, Paul was talking about an early account that happened. First hand witness, that sort of answer? He, he wasn't there. Right, so it's all based on the witnesses uh-huh. as the validity of the history mm-hmm. of this whole period Absolutely. is based on a true witness. Yes. There, there are no um, um, myths, there's, mm-hmm. there's no hint of anything. In fact, there was embarrassment involved in some issues. Mm-hmm. For Absolutely. instance, the women... Uh, going to the uh, tomb first Absolutely. and then talking about it. But what I wanted to say, just mm-hmm. a little cliff note. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned the stoning of Stephen. And, and another thing that I think goes unnoticed is that the crucifixion shows the glory of God, but so does the stoning of Stephen. Mm-hmm. And the crucifixion, it's God taking on the sin load and going to hell. And in the stoning of Stephen... There's the glorification of looking up to heaven and passing. And I just think that's so cool. I think it's that Stephen is a phenomenal study. He's brief, but it's phenomenal. Um, in that very same passage, Stephen looks up, and the only time you see this in the Bible, we, we know Jesus is, is sitting at the right hand of God. This is the one time in the Bible where it says Jesus was standing. Jesus was so intent on Stephen. Stephen lived a short but courageous life, a life worthy of the call. And so as we close, I I just want to say this. This topic can be studied for a year. This is a year series, okay? And to try to cram this into one hour is hard. But if you walk away with anything, remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way. He is relationship, not religion. No matter how bad you are, he wants you. And he will meet you on any road. And then those in here who have had their sins taken care of, but you're like, well, how can God use me? I'm just not gifted. I can't get up and speak. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do this. And, and, and you know, I, I'm still a little tainted. And, and, and Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the sort of the hall of fame of faith. And look at the, the misfits that God used. Murderers, rapists, liars, drunkards prostitutes, you name it. Because it has nothing to do with man or woman. It has nothing to do with man-made. That's religion. It has everything to do with God. And in front of each one of their names, Abraham, Noah, it doesn't matter who it is, there's the words, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, Rahab. By faith means God enabled. It wasn't because of David. It was because of God. It wasn't because of Abraham. It was because God and because these people were willing to humble themselves and say, enable me, God used them. Talk about one of the early appearances of Jesus. Remember when he sat down, the angel of the Lord sat down next to Gideon? The lowest of the low, the lowest clan, the weakest, this little junior high little kid. And he looks at him and what does he say? Mighty warrior. Jesus looks at you for what you can become through him. Not what the mirror tells you. I want to challenge you. The mind is a great opportunity to dig into the word. But the Bible also says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I want to challenge you. This year, 2013, we're, we're, we're okay. The Mayans were wrong. 2013, let's attack Chandler. Let's attack Santan. Live lives worthy of the call. And... and Take what we learn and go and do it. Trust in Jesus. You can't do it on your own. But by faith, 
God can use you. And as we go through religious IQ, and I got one quick video. As we go through religious IQ, this is not about giving you a big old sword to cut your friend's head off with. This is not about you going, oh, I can't wait till they ring my doorbell this time. This, that's not what it's about. Okay? This is about you realizing that this is about Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is who the, what the Bible is. And this is how I am going to fall on my knees and ask that God will use me with that person that rings the door. With my neighbor. With my spouse. That is our call. People who don't believe in Jesus are dying spiritually. They're not evil or stupid or confused. They're human beings that need you to reach your hand out of the lifeboat. And so as we go through religious IQ, take this knowledge and love your neighbor. Don't argue with them. Love your neighbor and let them see it. And you will be surprised. Even the most staunch atheist will be touched by the way you treat them. Look at this. I love him, by the way. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph, shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, uh, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. We had props from the show we given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, I saw the show and I liked it and I wanted And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New Testament, just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of... Uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm saying I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe, you ought to shut up a doubt, 
that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. So as we close, Jesus is the way. And if we go and tell people about Jesus, live a life worthy of that call, God will move. Not because Cornerstone's great, or because Lynn's great, or me, right? or because you, because Jesus is great. And even the staunchest atheist will have his, have his heart tugged. So as we go on this year, and as we continue down, and it's going to be a great year, I want to, again, encourage you, go. 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 If you still have questions, dig. Don't trust me. You might be drinking Kool-Aid. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you um, for the mind, and we thank you that this is a place where we can have this open dialogue and where, where everybody's safe. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for an amazing country that gives us the opportunity to do this without fear of persecution. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for those in here, uh, myself included, give us the courage to live this life and to go and to tell people about Jesus. And if we don't know the words, to grab their wrist and bring them somewhere where they can hear the gospel, the good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us an opportunity to have a relationship with the great I am, with the creator of the universe. We thank you that we have been justified and the penalty of our sins has been taken care of for all eternity. But Heavenly Father, now give us the courage and the wisdom to see things the way you do and to, by faith, allow you to enable us to change this community one person at a time. Heavenly Father, I pray for Cornerstone. I thank you for this church. I pray for Lynn as he casts the vision and he is the shepherd of this church. Protect him, protect this church and give us the courage to continue to proclaim your name. It is in your name, the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for allowing me to be here tonight. Uh, Greg will be here next week. Please, please, please come see um, J.P. Moreland. He will blow your mind. Thank you.